Hey everybody, hey everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Venture Europe. I'm Colleen Fabry, and I'm recording this intro on a beautiful Sunday afternoon in the mountains of Norway. This weekend was full of cross-country skiing, saunas, and board games. What else can a man desire? If you're new to the show, Venture Europe is a series of conversations with successful entrepreneurs and investors where we discuss about the strategies, tactics, frameworks and failings that they have used and experienced during their journey. It is my personal vendetta to contribute in making Europe one of the most attractive entrepreneurial ecosystems in the world. Big words, hard work, so let's get started. My guest today is Ophelia Brown, co-founder and partner at Blossom Capital. Blossom Capital was founded only four years ago and recently raised their third fund of around 380 million euros and became one of the largest Series A investors in Europe. Blossom's mission is to supercharge the most visionary founders in Europe, enabling them to build companies which compete on a global scale. Previously, she was a general partner at Local Globe, where she invested in a number of exciting companies, including Echo, Tizian, and Zigo. And before that, with Index Ventures, where she led investments in Big Health, Call9, Marvel App, Osper, and Typeform, and worked closely with Credit Benchmark, PeopleVox, and Robinhood. During this episode, we discuss about her first job in VC, the best and worst advice she has received, and the characteristics of world-class founders. Big thank you to Eleonora Crespo, CEO of Pigment and one of Blossom's portfolio companies that helped me during the research phase of this episode. Please enjoy this excellent conversation with Ophelia. Ophelia, tell me the story when and how you decided to join the VC world. So my journey into the VC world is actually one thinking that I was going to be a founder. I think I've already always had the entrepreneurial spirit. My first uh, business that I wanted to own, I, want, I wanted to be a restaurant-owning DJ. So I wanted to uh, DJ front of house and cook in the back. It might be a precursor that I never actually found the right business idea. I was kind of always trying things out. And I was at business school back in 2011. I went to INSEAD and I was working on an idea for a peer-to-peer car sharing startup. And I was going to call it Carmunity. Um, I actually had the domain name for a very long time. And unfortunately, I was beaten to market. So EasyJet announced the launch of the car club. um, And it was basically my idea. And they had five million pounds of funding. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to do that. It was actually a good friend of mine, uh, Tarvet Hemminkus. And this was just before he started TransferWise. I was like, Tarvet, what should I do? There's a competitor in the market with like five million pounds of funding. (laughs) And he goes, if I were you, I'd just give up. And I was like, all right. And I didn't have that next idea. So I started thinking about VC, um, thinking, well, you know, I'll get a much better idea of the landscape and see what people are working on and I'll learn the funding environment and that side of things. And then I'll go and start my company. And so uh, that was the real decision to go into venture. When I got my first job in venture and I started meeting with founders and figuring what the VC role was, I never really looked back on being a founder until I realized that, that you could found a fund <laughs> and merge both my passions uh, in 2017, which comes a lot later. And why is that? Why you never looked back after you joined the VC world? I think I just really loved the role of supporting founders and realizing that I didn't have the great idea. Um, I didn't see the opportunities in certain markets like other founders were. 
but I really knew how to help them build. And that, to me, was just as exciting as being a founder. I think that the VC mindset and the way that you kind of live your day-to-day is very different from being an operator. Like, you have to be very comfortable as a VC, working on a million things, context switching from moment to moment. Like, you know, one day looks very different to the other and plans will fall out the window when you meet with a great team and you just want to spend time with them. Um, whereas, you know, the operator kind of sits with one company and thinks about that, uh, all day long and is kind of immersed in like that market and building that team and days are a bit more structured. And I just think it's a very different type. And I just found that it was much better suited to being an investor. Right. No, I can definitely um, relate with you. Also, I still have uh, two or three domain names. Actually, just like two weeks ago, I was just reminded that I have to renew it. And I was like, oh, I had this idea. It took a while to kind of be brutally honest with myself. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I have really good ideas and insights. So a really insight into the problem, how that can be solved. And definitely, I think like also for me, it came much easier to be you know, the second person. So the, the, the support level and not actually the one kind of driving it forward. In the VC world, do you remember the first investment that you have made? How was, how was the first meeting like? Yeah, so the first investment I properly got to work on, and this was at Index Ventures back in 2012, was our investment into Supersup, the gaming company um, in Helsinki. And we'd heard, it was just after they launched their second game, Clash of Clans, and we'd heard how well they were doing. And I went out with one of the partners to Helsinki to go and meet Ilka and the team. And it was like, you know, the snow was like knee deep in Helsinki, like freezing cold. And the, the real irony was that Supercell were Nokia's old building. So it was like, you know, the birth of new technology and like the demise of the other. And Ilka kind of opened the door and he's not wearing any shoes because uh, in the Nordics, you know this, you've moved over there. Um, so, and... There was just this incredible energy in the company. Like they were only, I think there were only 80 people at the time and they were in their cells. And kind of two special moments happened. Like one, I met this Brazilian PM who was leading on Heyday and she just left her life in Brazil to come to Snowy Helsinki to work at Supercell. And she was so passionate and over the moon. And you could just see like this was everything to her and then there was this other special moment that they had this map and the lights would like it was um full of little bulbs and like basically it would blink where they could see someone was playing one of the supercell games and there was like this tiny island in the middle of like the indian ocean somewhere like just flashing and it was like yeah that's one of our like biggest users (laughs) over there um And just hearing Ilka's story, and, you know, it wasn't straightforward. They had killed some games. There was a moment in Supercell's history where it didn't look great, but it was a real story of, like, um, I always use these words in terms of entrepreneurship, like perseverance, determination, huge grit to make it work. Now they were really, like, they were absolutely flying. Um, And, yeah, that, that was a very special day for me. How is that meeting different from a first meeting with a founder today? How did your assessment of a team or grit, you mentioned grit, and also you mentioned the special moment. How did that change during this 10 years as an investor? I don't think it has changed that much. Um, 
One of the things that I always want to hear first and the thing that I'm most interested in when I meet with a founder is the personal journey to starting something and how it's gone since. I think that's because having like now founded my own company but also worked with so many great entrepreneurs, you really understand, you know, no journey is ever play sailing. Like, you know, things will happen, like you'll, over, you'll need to overcome challenges, there'll be obstacles. But if you really believe in your idea and in yourself and in the team that you build, you can overcome all of that. And it's why they, I want to understand why they so firmly believe that, you know, a, this is the project or the business or the idea that they should devote, you know, the next 10, 15, 20, if not longer years to, um, and why they have that kind of need to fulfill this, like what's really driving them. Um, and, you know, that's what I understood when we went out to meet Elko, and that's what I still try to understand in every first meeting today. Interesting. And fast forward four years ago, you decided to found Blossom Capital. Uh, you recently raised your third fund and became one of the largest Series A investors in Europe. What was the motivation to start Blossom and what is the mission? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I think I've always had that founder in me and the entrepreneurial spirit. And there came a point, and I guess like any other founder, where I just saw such an obvious gap in the market or, you know, a problem that so clearly needed to be fixed um, that I felt that the market timing was right. So by 2017, I'd spent just over five years in venture. I had split my time between Europe and the US. I had spent a lot of time in the Valley. And I'd felt that in the Valley, I really got to meet some world-class teams and understood like what it was to build you know, phenomenal product and engineering team over there and what it was to be amongst investors who are very comfortable taking risks, who really knew how to think big and help their founders achieve their goals and their missions. And the investor mindset was very different from what I had experienced in Europe, but the talent was not. Like, it was very clear to me that there was a next generation of talent in Europe that was just as ambitious, just as talented as the teams that I was meeting in the Valley. I just felt that there needed to be like a next generation of VC investor and a next generation of fund in Europe to really support those founders and their ambitious goals. And that was the mission for Blossom was to, you know, change the model of venture to evolve it. Like we had some brilliant firms in Europe, but they were all founded like 20 years ago. And, you know, things had changed in the way that how we saw we could provide capital and support teams. So I spent a good deal of time kind of thinking about how to transform that venture model and what we wanted to build at Blossom. And, you know, really couldn't, every day I was coming back to the idea and kind of working on it more. And then, you know, suddenly I decided to fundraise. And I always say that I'm very fortunate that I was completely naive what it was to like raise a fund because as soon as I was in it, I was too, I was too far in it to turn back. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that's the genesis of Blossom. Got it. Got it. And the tagline is high conviction investing uh, in Europe. How would you define investing with high conviction? And also you mentioned that Europe needs the next generation of VC. We need to evolve it. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So starting with high conviction investing, there had been this old problem in Europe that really frustrated founders 
And one was they would come and they would ask for, I don't know, back in the day, like 5 million or 10 million. And they would often find VCs who were very happy to follow or give them half the round and you know, be told, you know, give some proof points, work it out, come back for more capital or we'll follow, go and find the lead. And funding rounds would end up not being, you know, a matter of a month or weeks. It would be a matter of months. And that's, you know, a huge distraction from the founder from building a business. And then if you don't have enough runway to actually show the proof points for the next round, you're back fundraising again before you've got the proof points of what you just raised. And it was this, it was kind of a very uh, detrimental cycle that they would put themselves in. So when we talked about high conviction investing, we really wanted to show that we, we were all in with our team. So we really believed in their mission and the opportunity. And we know with venture, you know, some things will work out and some things won't. And it's never going to be <laughs> as you predict. So we wanted to be all in. We didn't want to kind of half commit or follow. We wanted to lead and we wanted to fund companies for 18, 24 months to really make sure that they had all of the runway that they needed to prove out, you know, their ambitious plans and hire the team that they needed, build the product that they needed. And so that was one part of it, like really be a true partner to our founders. And the other was if we are committing to provide meaningful support and be a true partner to these founders, we wanted to only actually make a few investments a year. That number ended up being what we decided on was five or six. And we said, okay, if we can go and find the five or six best teams that we want to partner with in Europe, that's the right number to making sure that we have all of the available time bandwidth that we can really support them in their journey. And so our funds, we actually build very concentrated funds um, you know, our first fund ended up being 10 companies. Our fund two will actually probably be like 12, 13 companies. And it means that every company really matters to us. You know, they hold equal weight in the portfolio. And if something happens, that's very meaningful to us. We don't have portfolios of 30, 40 companies. We're not here to play the odds, but we'd rather make sure that we're maximizing the success of a small number of founders and teams. And that's where high conviction came from. Got it. And, and you mentioned high conviction and, and getting going all in and fully support the founders. Do you have some some examples of that? Yeah, we all now have them. 17 portfolio <laughs> yeah. companies, so all of them. <laughs> we, work, we work the same with everyone. So in practicality, that means so we have three partners on the investment team. It's myself, uh, my partner, Imran, who's been with me since the beginning. He's a data scientist and engineer by background. And our partner, Alex, who joined us after spending seven years on the West Coast with a great firm called IVP. Alex is actually British, though, and was covering Europe for them. And so moved back over the summer last year. So we have three partners on the investment side. We have one talent partner, Kim, who used to uh, recruit for the likes of Facebook, Atlassian and Nubank um, across product engineering and design. And the four of us work with every company. So we really tried to maximize our different skill sets, our expertise, our networks to give as much support as possible to the teams. And then we, you know, we want very informal relationships. So we have WhatsApp groups with all of our teams. Um, we expect, try and spend as much time in person, um, even during COVID, you know, we still find ways to go and meet up in person, but we'll, we'll spend at least once a month. And 
it's important to know, I mean, we're never going to be in the day-to-day of the company and we never say that, you know, we're, we're not here to do certain things like tell you what products to build or whatever. We're not the founders. But we, we do know a lot when it comes to scaling and how to really build those solid foundations for growth. And that's what we want to be a good partner on to make sure that we, you know, typically when we're investing in a company, they might be at the beginning of building product that might have a product to market. They might have some quite substantial revenue. But the goal of raising this round or their institutional round is to get to, you know, predictable revenue growth. And that's what we really want to, to help with. And that can mean, you know, talking about what the hiring needs are, what go to market requirements they have. It can mean customer intros. It can just be, you know, references or intros from our network for people who have done it at other companies, like you name it. We're here to support in any capacity possible. So that's kind of the flavor of how we support. When you know that you have five to six companies that you can invest in per year, how do you balance an investing in world-class talent and industry-specific? Yeah, maybe just to just to clarify on that, like I would assume that you do see some trends or some thesis that the timing should be right about now. Do you try to go and find the right talent and world-class talent, someone that is very dedicated in their vision within that specific thesis? Or sometimes also you would invest in a founder, even though like maybe you think that the market is not there yet. How do you balance that out? So I think the timing is very important in building product and coming to market. And when you raise capital, there is a pressure of time to some extent. You know, the You've got to prove certain things out before you raise your next round. You're scaling a team against that. And the team are going to want to see, you know, that the, the business is working. We are very thematic in, our, in terms of our approach. So specifically, you know, as partners, we each have our different areas that we go very deep into. So I spend a lot of time on financial services and enterprise software. Alex, my partner, um, does a lot in consumer. And then Imran, given his background, leads our enterprise efforts. And so each of us go very deep into the different verticals and are constantly thinking about, you know, where the next opportunity is in the market. And you make one investment and that leads you to another investment, et cetera, et cetera. So when we do meet the right team and we have a hypothesis, obviously, like, you know, that's the, that's the perfect time to invest. Sometimes we haven't necessarily considered a market, but a brilliant team comes to us or we meet with a brilliant team and we do the work to understand the opportunity but I think we are trying to understand, you know, if you bring that product to market in the next 12, 24 months, what's the demand for this? Um, that is critical to think about. How do you test the market if the market is ready for the product? I think we spend a lot of time talking to potential customers. On the consumer side, you can definitely you know, learn or see certain trends evolving. On the enterprise side, you can, you know, Think about incumbents and where their businesses or their models might be broken, where technology would like obviously provide much better service or uh, revenue or whatever it is you're kind of looking for, the reason why the market is kind of broken at the moment. So if I take an example in one of our portfolio companies, Duffel, which is aggregating airline supply and distributing it through one single API, you know, there are three incumbents in the space, particularly noticeably, um, Amadeus um, and Sabre to GDS, uh, global distribution systems that you know, pre-COVID had a combined market cap of like $60 billion and like zero tech. 
I mean, like these companies' products were built in the 1970s, mm-hmm. and it was painfully obvious if you you improved the product, you could bring a lot more demand to the market, and you could also make it much more cost efficient for people uh, booking their tickets or for travel agents service their customers, etc. So I think that there are lots of places that you can draw on to figure out kind of timing. So I'm looking at a corporate travel uh, startup right now, and they said that it's a nightmare to integrate with uh, Amadeus. They're really not. Yeah. Yeah, there you <laughs> Just, go. You can tell them to use Daffo. Daffo, okay, cool. <laughs> so you've seen some talented uh, founders over the years, uh, and a team will usually determine a company's success. I was wondering, like, what are some of the characteristics of world-class founders, and how do you support them to become even better? Yeah. So I don't think any, any founder looks the same. <laughs> Everyone comes from different backgrounds, and uh, they have different passions, But I think the one thing that's kind of common amongst all is that there is a clear mission. They all have a purpose. They all wholly believe in something. And then you're kind of looking for their ability to communicate that mission and that vision. Because as a founder, you're constantly trying to bring people on your journey, whether it's, you know, you're fundraising, you're trying to bring investors on your journey, or you're trying to recruit people and you're trying to sell talent or you're trying to sell your product to customers, or you, you are in that, you're effectively selling all day long. And so that's one thing that we look for. Um, you know, can you kind of communicate your purpose and your mission and your vision? Do you have the expertise or do you have the energy in these conversations? And then I think another important thing is kind of the clarity of thought. I'm sure you've heard before, it's like, The one thing for founders is you definitely need to be able to focus. And you know, oftentimes, if you're going after to disrupt a large market or you're even creating a new market, you're going to have constant ideas of like different directions you can go in. And then your customers are going to try and take you in one direction. Your team might think you should go in one direction. And so I think it's really important to have like a You know, you're not going to have it down to every single detail and minutiae, but you have to have that kind of clarity of vision and where you're going or what the ultimate end goal is. And then there's a lot of things that you learn on the way. Some will have them at the beginning and some will not. So if you've left a high growth tech company, you've done recruitment before, obviously building the team at the early stages comes really easily to you. You might have an existing network or you've been through the other's interview or recruitment processes and you know how to run them. On the other hand, we have founders who've never recruited before and they need a lot of support or they want to learn that. Yeah, I think there are a couple of you know, characteristics that are common, but then you know, what someone needs to learn in their journey can be very, very different. Changing gears a little bit here, almost uh, at the end, uh, in closing, I have some personal questions, if you don't mind. Of course. So I just asked uh, Eleonore for feedback on how, how you are as a person, as an, as an advisor. And uh, she said she works more than anyone on this planet, available 24-7. She is a superhero. Coming from Eleanor, which I could probably say the same about her as a lot. <laughs> I was wondering, like, how did you train your grit? I mean, did you train your grit? Were you always hustling like this? I think I, I think I was always hustling. I was the youngest of three, and I think uh, I was always quite resourceful, um, kind of figuring out my own way. Yeah, I think it's it definitely comes naturally to me. Got it. What is the best and worst advice you have received? It's a great question. I think the best advice really comes from you know 
don't get bogged down by what other people think. Really, and this sounds like a bit of a tourism, but really to believe in yourself and to believe in your capabilities. I think that's really important. The worst advice. When we were building Boston, we got a lot of advice. I think there were certain directions that we didn't go in that I'm quite glad that we didn't. Your favorite book ever and best book you've read in the last six months? Favorite book ever? Probably The Revolutionary Road. The Revolutionary Road. Revolutionary Road. It's not a business book. It's a, it's a novel, but um, I really enjoyed it. And last question, what is the best way for uh, entrepreneurs to reach out to, to you guys? Uh, hello at BlossomCap.com. Hello at BlossomCap.com. Wonderful. Thank you very much for taking the time, Ophelia. Very much appreciate it. Thank you.